0: Good morning, church. Just give me one minute. I ought to begin by uh, asking for your forgiveness for, for running away without telling you where I was going. The reason I did that, please understand and accept my apologies, because I want, really want to surprise my wife. And she was indeed surprised to see me when i went and knocked on the gate and she came out thinking there was a parcel coming from canada and i was the parcel at that time but it was a wonderful time with my with my wife and uh, and I asked her to take one more day she is traveling tomorrow just we couldn't get the seats together but i really thank the lord for my trip because um, it is actually the grace of god i am here today because the the flight was cancelled yesterday Uh, That was supposed to bring me from the US here so I was really praying and I asked my agent, I asked every Tom Dick and Harry to help me out they said the flight is at 8 o'clock this morning and and they said you can go straight to church (laughs) so anyway by the grace of God I was able to find a spot last night and I arrived here last evening and I really thank you thank you for always supporting me and thank you for always being there with me and thank you for praying for me means a lot to me um I know that we we have gone into chapter uh, chapter 17 and you heard the passage being read this uh, this morning. We are still eavesdropping on the conversation between Christ and his disciples. In just a short few hours, Christ will be betrayed by Jews, Judas and soon he will be facing the imminent death. And here in chapter 17, <coughs> Uh, John draws our attention to Jesus' prayers, and that's what we have been looking at. In verses 1 to 5, we saw Jesus was praying for himself, and then uh, verses 6 to 19, he was praying for his disciples, and today we are going to see that Jesus is praying for the believers, that is to all of us. What seems to be the main subject in Jesus' prayer? That's a question I want to ask, and I would just let me bring this up. The passage of scripture here, I know it's a a little bit small, but I want everything to appear on one screen, Uh, what was read to you earlier. As you really read through this, this red highlight is from me. You don't see that in the scriptures like that I highlighted so that you can get the message across. There are four times on the subject of Christian unity. That's what you're seeing here. It talks about they all may be one, Christ says, and they also may be one in us. Then in verse 22, that that they may be one just as we are one. In verse 23, that they may be made perfect in one. So the common theme that you can see is Christian unity. Now when you think of Christian unity, the song obviously comes to our mind is that we are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity be one day be restored. Isn't that something that comes to your mind all the time? And we sing it in the churches. But can this be true of Christians today? This morning I just checked out to see how many denominations we have in this world. Believe it or not, in today's, this is direct from Google, so I'm hoping it's correct. There are 33,089 Christian denominations. And how can we say we are one? We are united. Sad, isn't it? And Are we really one with every group that claims to be Christians, even if they claim that, hear me out, church, salvation required not just faith alone, but we must add our good works to it? Then are we really one with them? That's the issue Paul confronted in the church in Galatia, and the the Judaizers insisted that in addition to faith, a man must be circumcised and follow the laws to be saved. So as you look at that, just bear with me. And but Paul did not say, let's set aside the areas where we don't agree and come together where we do agree. but he was very decisively, he was saying that those who are teaching this kind of false gospel were accursed. The word is the doomed to destruction. That's what it means. So let me ask you one more question. In today, Especially today, even amongst the so-called Christian groups, due to immense political and social pressure, there are those who publicly endorse alternate lifestyle that contradicts the household codes of the Bible. Can we still say We are one together with them. In our text today, through his prayer, the Lord is actually teaching us a lot about Christian unity. That's the theme I am seeing in this passage. And there are two powerful lessons we can take about Christian unity. Number one is to understand what Christian unity is all about. And then to learn how to express it. And to learn how to express it. All taken from the text for today. So let's ask ourselves, what is Christian unity? What is Christian unity? It is important to understand that there are two types of unity stated in the Bible. Number one, Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter four, and this from the NIV, he says, make every effort to keep what? The unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The unity of the spirit. It is already a fact for believers but we must be delight we must delight to pursue preserve it then later on in the same chapter verse chapter 4 after talking about the responsibilities of the pastors and the, and the and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry paul says this till we all come to what the unity of the faith earlier it was the unity of the spirit now is the unity of the faith And of the knowledge of the Son of God. And how to measure this unity? Read that with me. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So first it was the unity of the Spirit. Then here Paul talks about the unity of faith. The unity of faith is not yet a reality, but is attained to as we grow to maturity in Christ. As we grow to maturity in Christ. One theologian puts it so beautifully. He says, the unity of the spirit as a positional unity. That's how he calls it. A positional unity, meaning that it happens when we are saved. The unity of the spirit, which is a fact and it applies to every believer. And then the unity of the faith, he calls it a practical unity. A practical unity, it happens as we grow to maturity, which is a work in progress. So we see Jesus saying the same thing in our text today. In verse 20, let let me bring it up. Look at the passage here. Jesus praying for whom? Let's look at this. I do not pray for these alone, but also for whom? Those who will believe in me. It means every. Confessed believer is a futuristic thought. Not only the people who believe today, but all those who will be believing in me through their word would be done, even as he and the Father are one. Every believer is positionally united in Christ. And why do I say that? Apostle Paul says that very clearly to his in his epistle to the saints in Corinth. And this is what he says. Look at this. For by one spirit... We are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. Speaking of the unity of the Spirit. So that prayer was answered when the Holy Spirit baptized all believers into the body of Christ. So if you are a believer, you have the unity of the Spirit. And yet we also see Jesus prays for practical unity. Look at verse 23. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made what? Perfect in one. That's the practical unity here we are talking about. And believers may be perfected in unity, which implies a process of growth. A process of growth. It's much like the sanctification. We have the positionally sanctified in Christ, and we must grow in sanctification. So I do trust that you understand the difference between positional unity and practical unity. Now let us understand what Christian unity is. In order to understand what Christian unity is, I want to first tell you what Christian unity is not. It's easy to take that approach. Christian unity is not denominational unity. Can we say that together? Christian unity is not denominational unity. There are these ecumenical organizations such as the World Council of Churches or the National Council of Churches. They are prominent in promoting organizational and external unity amongst various denominations. The idea is that to set aside the areas we differ and come together on common ground. Have you heard that? Yes. But both councils are notoriously, theologically, and politically liberal and inclusive of denominations that deny or compromise the gospel. Church, we have to keep our eyes open when people make those statements. Christ was not praying for a one world church. He is not to be organized under one leader or church governant. So Christian unity is not denominational unity. Secondly, Christian unity is not uniformity. Everybody say the word uniformity. Uniformity. You know, being one body in Christ does not mean that we all must look alike, talk alike, and enjoy the same kind of activities. Now, there are Christian groups of people who would dress alike, who would greet alike? Who would talk alike? Uniformity in appearance and behavior is imposed on every so-called believer. Even in the dress code for the women, they are told how to braid their hair. They even motion or chant and sound alike. And at times, it it sounds so eerie, but it nothing to do with Christian unity. Church, listen. Church is compared to human body in the Bible, isn't it? The beauty of the body is that it functions as one body, although it consists of many different parts. This very analogy speaks clearly both of the human body and the church as diversity within a unity. So, however, unity does not mean uniformity. Thirdly, unity does not mean unanimity in every doctrine. It's very important for us to grasp this. Unanimity in every doctrine. Now, when you talk about doctrine, it's important for us to understand there are three broad levels of biblical doctrines. Three levels. Number one, there are essential truths necessary for salvation. We cannot compromise on that. We cannot, to deny any of these would be heresy and a denial of the faith. That's why Paul identified the Judaizers and they said they are doomed for destruction. All Christians must agree on these truths. What are these truths we are talking about? The inspiration and the authority of the scriptures. The trinity, the full deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. His substitution death on the cross, his bodily resurrection, his bodily second coming. And salvation by grace through faith alone apart from works. We cannot compromise and call it unity. These are essentials. The the second broad level is that important but non-saving faith. Non-saving truth. These truths will affect how we live as Christians. And the way we understand God, man, salvation and Christian life. But genuine believers differ on these matters. I'll give you some examples. Biblical prophecy, or is it Calvinism or Arminianism, views on baptism, or charismatic gifts, roles of men and women in the church, or church governance, or Christians and psychology, and there are many others. Church, note this. Some of these issues are more important in that they border on essential doctrines. We have to be very alert and open about this. We have to have a clear understanding of what these doctrines really mean before we talk about unity between the groups, have different thoughts. Some issues in Calvinism and Arminianism deal with salvation and the gospel. So these are some gray areas. The third level of doctrine they are interesting but not essential or important matters they won't affect the way you live your Christian life there are minor interpretive issues on difficult texts. for example who were the sons of God in Genesis 6 it's not a make or break thing when is the rapture going to happen precisely it's not a make or break thing who are the, where are the saints of the Old Testament today? It's not a make or break thing for us. So it's important, church, to discern the level of importance of a doctrine before you debate it with another Christian and divide from him over it. Paul gives it uh, very clearly, this warning to Timothy, and he sees this. Look at this passage in 1 Timothy 1, to 4-5. No give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Paul is telling us, don't spend too much time on these non-essentials. That's what Paul is telling here. So Christian unity is not organizational external unity. Then the question is that, if, if not, then what is Christian unity? If this is not the case, If you had to put your trust in Jesus, then he's praying for you in these verses. Look at verse number 20. I'm going to bring it back again. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for whom again? Those who also, sorry, those also who believe in me throughout, through their word. So Christian unity is based on common salvation in Jesus Christ. Can everybody say the word salvation? Salvation. Salvation in Jesus Christ. So Christian unity is based on the common salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not praying for the entire world here as you look at this passage. He is not praying for interfaith unity among all Christians, Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims as promoted by many interfaith groups. Jesus is praying specifically for those who believe in him. Through the Apostle's Word. Through the Apostle. Now, what is the Word telling us? The Word is recorded for us in the New Testament, which is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. The core message of the Apostle's Word is is what? It's about salvation through faith in in the life and substitute death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The new birth is the basis of our unity in Christ. So Jesus compares this unity... With that which exists between him and the father. Look at the second part of verse 21. That they may all be one, even as you, father, and uh, Father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Jesus and the father are eternally one in their shared nature of God. When we are born again, church. We become children of God and we share in the divine nature. We share in the divine nature. So in this sense, Jesus' prayers was answered on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, uniting them in the body of Christ. Since then, all who believe the apostolic witness to share the new life in Him. This is the unity of the Spirit we saw earlier. It is a fact for all believers and we must be diligent to preserve it. So Christian unity, the first point I want you to understand is based on our common salvation in Jesus Christ. If somebody is not saved, they cannot be part of you. Scary statement, isn't it? What do we tell normally to peace and the peace people? We are all children of finish it for me God whoever that we see we tell them we are all children of God is it true we are not children of God we are all creations of God is only those who believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ can they have, God has given them the right to become children of God let's continue to read that the first part is the Christian unity is based on our common salvation in Jesus Christ let's read verse number 22 and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one as we are one again the second component the Lord is talking about here the first component was about salvation the second component is talking about some glory What is Jesus saying about the glory? Jesus says that the glory he received from the Father, he has passed it on to the believers, to you and I. You know, but we know that Christ has an incommunicable glory, which he did not receive, nor does he bestow. So it's a very confusing statement as you look at this passage, but we can certainly piece together several verses that steer us in the right direction. Jesus says in this word that He has given the glory. the Father has given him to all of us, the believers. What happens when the glory is given to the believers? Look at the second part of this message that they may be one just as we are one. When the glory is given, glory is an, is, 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 is an instrument for the unity. That's what they are saying here we are united then just like Christ and the Father. So what can we take from this passage, church? From a practical point of view. In this verse, all we can see is that the, the Christian unity is based on not only the common salvation, but also on the common glory in Christ Jesus. So you may ask, what was the glory of Jesus? Pastor, it's nice to hear the term glory. What was the glory of Jesus? In, in terms that we can understand. Church, Listen. The manifestation of the glory of Jesus is seen in at least three ways in the scriptures. Number one, the cross was the glory of God. The cross. Let's look at verse number one in chapter 17. Look at this. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said what? Father, the hour has come. Read with me. Glorify your son and that your son also may glorify you. I want to note this church, Jesus did not speak of being crucified. Did he say crucified? Absolutely not. He says, but he spoke of being glorified. Therefore, the first and foremost, a Christian's glory is the cross that he bears. It's the cross that he bears. It's an honor to suffer for Christ. We must never think of the cross as a penalty. We must think of it as our glory. When it is hard to be a Christian. Now you know one day there was a pastor who said. You know I want you to bring your cross. To the altar. And just leave it. There was one man who stood up. And lifted his wife and brought to the altar. That is not what he is talking about here. When you talk about the glory here. It's hard to be a Christian. You may have difficulties in your own life because of the sins that you have committed. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the glory, the hardship, is because you want to live a Christian life. That's what he's talking about here. The psalmist says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver you and you shall glorify me. When the world witnesses how we handle our crosses in our Christian walk, they will see the unity amongst the believers. They will know that we are Christians by our walk. I've said this before, you know, I visited my my, my brother-in-law and, and sister-in-law has gone to be with the Lord. I saw Christ's glory in her because the way that she handled her sickness. So the second... Secondly, we are looking at, first we are looking at at bearing the cross. The second one is that you can see in here, in the Christ example, he was obedient to the will of God. That is how he exhibited the glory. You know, Christ, why did he go to the cross? Because he was commanded to go by God. And he obeyed. And he obeyed. We find our glory not in doing as we like, but in doing as God wills. This is how Jesus glorified God. So we, you and I, we display the real glory of Jesus in doing God's will. The greater the obedience, the greater the glory. That's the demonstration of the unity. So we looked at bearing the cross. We looked at obedience. The third one that we see about Jesus' glory is again from Jesus' example. When that happened, church, His glory is revealed to others in His special relationship with God. David says what? Yea, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I shall fear no evil. I shall fear no evil. They also, no one could live as Jesus did unless he was uniquely near to God. If you recall, when Jesus was crucified, this very centurion, he came, he looked at the way that Jesus bore The pain obeyed God is that surely he was the son of God. The glory of the Lord is seen in us in the manner by which we handle our challenges in life. When the fragrance of Jesus emits from us in the midst of crisis, in the midst of the adversities of life, in the manner we obey the commands in the manner we others in the manner others see our walk in him that would demonstrate the unity amongst us and Christ says this look at that he says they may be one just as we are one you know this is why church i want you to be very careful especially even when you're driving you get so angry and upset how do you behave you don't like somebody, they can be a pebble in your shoes. How do you treat them? How do you treat them? Because the others are observing you. He is indeed a man of God. That is how it must be said of every one of us, every believer. Then we are united. We are united in Christ. So we learn what Christian unity is from the prayer of Jesus. And I said this, I'll bring it up again. The common salvation in Christ Jesus that brings us the, the positional and the common glory in Christ Jesus by the way that we bear our cross, by the way we obey, and by the way we conduct ourselves. Now, Let us see how this must be expressed. So once again, I just want us to get this point very clearly, church. It is the way that we face tribulations as we endure to live godly life. That is what bearing the cross means. You want to live a godly life. You are facing challenges. How do you endure it? That will show that you belong to the body of Christ. You are united in the body of Christ. It is a way that you obey the Lord's commands. Implicit obedience that will reveal that you belong to this body. You are united in this body. It is a way that you conduct yourselves in the interaction with others especially when you are to deal with hard people difficult people Are you still able to emit the fragrance of Jesus? That will reveal that you are united in the body. Now having said all this, in the verse 23, Jesus beautifully spells out the glue that bonds us together. How is this possible? Look at verse number 23 now in a different perspective. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in love, sorry, perfect in one, And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus makes the staggering statement that the Father has loved us as he loved Jesus. Wow. Can I ask you to do something please? I know there are people who love you in your life. Maybe your spouse, maybe your children, maybe maybe your parents. Maybe you feel unloved. Can I ask all of us just to close your eyes for a moment and tell yourself, if you're a believer, the Almighty God, He loves me. Can you close your eyes for a moment, please, everyone? And just tell in yourself, within yourself. Because that is what the Scripture says here, church. And that the world may know that you have sent me and I've loved them as you have loved me. Thank you. Isn't that wonderful? Just to know that the Lord God of the universe, he loves me. Wow. Every true believer is a recipient of this love. You know, I I must tell you this. I'm here. There's a lot of obstacles that came in my return journey. I'm here because of God's grace. I went I landed in 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 the, in the UK and I went wanted to go and see my sister and my niece and I I rented a car you know in the UK they ro- drive on the wrong side of the road and I I happened to take the stick vehicle not the not the one with the auto and without a GPS that I can trust I'm trying to n- navigate my way from Heathrow to Croydon sorry to Ilford anyway I managed to go there and the following day Yesterday morning, I had to leave at 4 in the morning just to come to the airport to catch my flight. As I was driving, I, I, you know, I must learn to trust the Google map. But I didn't. I trusted this. Because, you know, I'm a big-headed fellow. You know that. I said, I know how to do it. And I went straight. And, and honestly, I was driving. And a GPS said, "Turn to the right. I said, no, no, you are wrong. I said, I'm going to go straight. I know the road. And I went, there was a big sign to say the M25. If you know the UK, you know that's a big circular motorway. It says two junctions were closed. That means the road is closed. You can't make it. And once in the UK, it's not like here. You don't have exits here and there. You drive for miles and miles and miles before you do it. And I'm trying to go to the airport so I can catch the flight. And I'm on the driveway. I have to drive 21 miles one way, return 21 miles to go as the GPS told me to do. I'm driving. God, forgive me. I know you love me. A miracle has got to happen. I can't afford to miss this flight. God, take me home. Take me home. Honestly, I prayed and prayed and prayed. I called my wife. And, you know, when you talk to wives in a condition like that, they give you lectures. They don't first start to pray. I said, stop talking to me. Just pray. (laughs) And then she prayed. And I prayed. And I went. And for a full circle, I came. Long story short, I made it sharp at 645. 715 was my flight. Anyway, I went inside. God God is a God of, I don't know, something Amusement my flight was delayed by three hours (laughs) and now I went in now then what happened I missed my flight from New Newark here so I landed in the US that's the last place that I ever wanted to come through on a transit and I went through the customs two hours later now flight is gone all gone they said no flights to come to Canada I said can I drive my wife said you're not driving you're dead tired you better stay there I said I'm preaching tomorrow They said, the flight is at 8 o'clock, brings me at nine, 9.45. I don't have proper clothing to come to church. I prayed. I honestly prayed. I said, God, you love me. You know, it's one thing to talk about the love of God another time, another thing to claim the love of God. I said, God, you love me. This flight getting delayed is not my fault. The earlier one was my fault. You saved me, but help me. By the grace of God, I got a seat at 8 o'clock flight last night. Arrived home last night around 9.30, 9.45. Church, what I want to tell you is this. He loves you. is that amazing? That love is the one that bonds us together. That's what the Lord is talking about here. The world will see that. That we belong to this body. I'm able to share it with you because you all are believers, my brothers and sisters. And you know that we belong to this body of Christ because of that love that glues us together. I remember each time I, you know, I had two, two children and every time, they were, every time I had to hold them as little babies, I looked at them and I poured all my love on that little babe in my hand. Then I was thinking about it yesterday. I was thinking, my goodness, you know, if I can pour, let's say, about a hundred measures of love, How much more love my heavenly father would pour on me. Wow. I want each one of you to grasp it today very clearly. But Jesus says here that the world would know they are loved by God. That's how we are united. How would the world know? Only when the love of God flows from us, the others will know that the Lord loves us. John puts it very, the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The logic of that is so simple, church, and yet it is so difficult to obey. So Christian unity is expressed by believers' common love. Common love. It is relatively easy to love folks who are just like you. It's very easy. But the church is to show Christ's love across racial, cultural, generational, and economic divides as we worship together and care for one another. That's unity. There was no greater divide in Paul's days than that between the Jews and the Gentiles. But Paul emphasized that the glory of the church is that Christ removed the barrier between those two diverse groups and made them one. He insists here, look at this, Colossians chapter 3, verse one, verse 11. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Is NIV version. When people who are divided in the world display their love for one another in the local church, the world takes notice of it. Our motto of our church is that reaching out with love. With love of Christ. Christ saw everyone and he sees everyone through the lens of love. God sees us through the lens of love. That's what he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is what we are called to do church. Not to cast anyone out. No matter how terrible the person is. That display of Christ's love results in many believers coming to see what is going on and eventually coming to faith in Christ. It is done collectively. We should be united front and the message must be consistent in this church. There are times that we cannot show that love because we are all human and somebody has hurt us and we can't show that love. I told you this example before. There was a great... uh, um, uh, pastor by the name of Chuck Missler and and somebody betrayed him and his wife could not forgive that person and she went on her knees and she prayed God I cannot forgive this person for what he has done to my husband but I know you love us I know you love me I know you love him I ask you God may your love flow through me may your love flow through me as you deal with each other as you treat the newcomer in every situation, in every conflict, let them see that you are someone a recipient of God's love. Who demonstrate the common salvation, the common glory, by the way we carry our cross, by the way we obey his commands, by the way we emit the fragrance of Jesus. It is possible because Christ, God loved us first. You know what? I want to tell you something. In my 30 plus years of ministry, I've seen that. People leave the church and church not because of the pastor. People leave the church not because they are upset with the pastor or the leadership. They leave the church because somebody in the church has hurt them. Because they do not see the unity. Because they do not see how you carry the cross. Because they do not see how you obey God's commandments. Because they do not see the fragrance of Jesus emitting from you. Most importantly, they do not see that agape love oozing from you. It just takes one person to ruin the relationship. To ruin the unity. If it is you, woe to you. Woe to you. It cannot be done by pastors alone. Our desire is to build a church. Our desire, I'm really thankful to God that God brought so many new people for the VBS programs. Imagine those parents, the families, they need Christ. This community needs Christ. This area needs Christ. And they can only see Christ through us, through our unity. We must be seen as a united front. So church, as I bring this message to a close, I just pray that all of us, by the way that we carry our cross, by the way that we are obedient to the word of God, by the way that we are able to demonstrate in the midst of struggles, emitting the fragrance of Jesus, And by the way that we exhibit the love of God, it will be seen that we are a united front. And my prayer is that when every one of us here make the decision, our church will grow, grow and grow. Shall we pray? God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that from the prayer of Jesus for the believers, we are able to gather or understand what Christian unity is all about. And we know, Father, the unity comes when there is common salvation. And I thank you for all the believers here who, are, who have the unity of the Spirit. I pray that there will be unity of the faith as we grow. Help us, God, to bear the cross for your glory. Help us, God, to be obedient to the word of God. Help us, God, to exhibit and emit the fragrance of Jesus in our daily walk. And help us, God, may the love of God flow through us. And when that happens, The community will see, our families will see that we are a united front, and they'll be drawn to Christ. That's the cry of our heart, of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.